Well, I thank God for the opportunity to, to praise Him today, the capacity within my soul to do that. I thank Him for a great team. I, uh, I thank Pastor Ron for allowing me the opportunity to speak today. And I think it would be very appropriate for me to thank you for not leaving once you found out I was speaking. See, by your giggles, I know you thought. I would be somewhat hypocritical if I didn't let you know that I know the system. Um, I haven't done it here. It's a little hard to do it when you're on staff. But uh, before I was on staff at a church, I knew how the system worked. If the senior pastor wasn't going to speak and there was a missionary or a guest speaker or one of the guys on staff... You had a couple options, and uh, maybe if you've done this before, it's, it's where you get the whole family and you say, look, I'm going out first, five minutes, follow me. And see, the guy gets away with this because he's on the edge, and everyone thinks he's going to the bathroom, but he's bringing his Bible with him this time, and uh, he gets off, and then five minutes is like eternity. So the wife really only waits about 30 seconds before she gets everybody together, and she's about to move, and she feels the pressure, so She's got to do something, so she's like, stomach, husband. Blames it on him, and everybody's like, yeah. But see, the people nodding, they're not saying we feel bad for your husband. They're saying, yes, you beat us. We were going to do that. You're just ahead of the curve. Um, You know, the the doctors and nurses and and policemen and firemen, they always get away with it. It's like, oh, emergency, on call, i got to go. So and everybody's like, yeah, whatever. Um, But seriously, the, uh, the message today is it's for you it is from paul to a group of believers it's for those people that would find themselves in church on july 8th in the middle of the summer when kids are on vacation if uh if you're in this room and you said well i'm not a believer or maybe i don't know that i want to continue that journey this message is for you Because if the believers in this room could operationalize the fruits of the Spirit, goodness. If we could actualize what Paul was teaching about, then all the non-believers, not just in this place, but in our community as a whole, would flock to those that know him. Because they would see him. And they would feel him and know, that is where I want to be. So today's title is Goodness. Pastors preached the last couple weeks on the different gifts of the Spirit. And so I want to go to that text, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Paul speaking about living in the Spirit. He says, look, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love that when Pastor talked about patience, and he gave us a definition, and he gave us the imagery that really patience means extending the wick that's attached to dynamite. And if you really get the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't mean that you're never going to blow up, but you slowly get a longer wick. And I remember that week thinking, man, give me a large wick right now, Lord. I hope the same is true about goodness today. And I want to define it real quick and spend a second or a minute on it, but I don't want today to be all about defining goodness. 
Instead, let our definition serve as a platform from which together we all can launch into an investigation of how to apply goodness to our lives. Goodness in this context, when Paul writes about it, if you go back to the original word, it's really talking about a virtue of beneficence. Being good as in you have benefit for others. So the opposite of that is, or to contrast that would be, he's not really talking about, hey, did you have a good day today? It was good. Hey, how was everything? It's good. This isn't going to Lowe's and picking out paint where you have good, better, and best. This isn't a rating scale. It's not even adjective form. It's verb form. The kind of goodness that Paul's talking about and we're going to talk about today isn't the, I'm having a good day. It's this thing, this virtue It's an embodiment of a characteristic in which you benefit others. I want to look at this, investigate it with three points today. Let's look at goodness as a perspective. Then we'll move and we'll talk about goodness as a principle. And lastly, we'll look at goodness as a purpose. If we can apply one, two, or hopefully all three of these principles over time, then we truly will be choosing goodness. There's no better place to look at the perspective of goodness than God himself. For God is good. Good not just in the adjective form, but good in the verb form. Job tells us that without God there is no goodness. God is good. In fact, he began Scripture. And I almost want to say he littered the beginning of Scripture with the word good. But God didn't litter it. He didn't throw it out haphazardly. God purposely, distinctively designed for good to surround all his creation. The summation of that is in Genesis 1.31. It says, then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. The earth was good. The sea was good. The light was good. The birds were good. Man was good. Everything God created was good as in it had a function to benefit others. Even if we get to this tree in the garden, and I want to investigate this part, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Most of us would say, oh, that's bad, stay away from that. Remember, our first understanding is that God does not create anything that's not good. God doesn't create evil. So God's creation, the tree, it's not bad. It's the interaction of God's different creations That are unhealthy. See, God created the sun and He created you and I. But if you and I went to the sun, there would be some problems. God created the tree and He knew there would be some problems if man interacted with this tree. And so God set a prohibition. Now, this is where the snake comes in. 
And on the surface, we talk about how the, the snake lured Eve, and let's just lump them, lump them together, Adam and Eve, with power, and to be on the same level of, as God, to get all the things God has. But at the root, the snake was challenging the perspective of God's goodness. See, you, when you believe that God is goodness, you'll do whatever he says. You'll go wherever he has you. The harder part, you'll stay wherever he puts you. But when you begin to challenge your perspective that God is good, you create a gap, a window, a capacity to disobey God. Let me give a story. My uh, nephew, Brady, he's almost four years old. And he was at my house the other day and we were playing. And uh, I was the cool uncle and I was Marine for a while, and we were blowing stuff up. And then I was Jedi, and we were doing Star Wars stuff, and we were having a blast. And then I reached and I felt him. He was burning up. And you know, a, a dad or a man's hand's no good. So when I said, oh, he feels hot, the women flocked, and they did the forearm, and the back arm, and the back of the hand, and the cheek. And then they agreed that that day my hand was the same. He's hot. So I deployed proper protocol, went to my bedroom, got red swimming trunks out, threw them on, turned the bathwater on, jumped in, grabbed them, and we're in there. All of a sudden, good chance, good uncle chance. Eh. He started screaming, he was pounding my legs. I said, I know, buddy, I know it feels bad, but this is good for you. He ended up having to go to the hospital and He's fine now, but you know how little kids are. He had to go there and get some fluids and get some higher level antibiotics. And he goes home that night and he's in bed almost asleep. And my aunt, my aunt, his, what would that make it? His mom. It's my sister-in-law. <laughs> Story was going so good. It was going to benefit you. The, uh, his mom reaches over and puts her hand on him and says, Dear Jesus, please touch him. And in rhythm, he goes, No, don't. <laughs> and it's comical, and I'm going to make a transition, and maybe you think it's a far jump, but I wonder how many of us allow our perspective of God's goodness to where we're like, No, don't. Sickness is easy to identify in your life as starting to work on your perspective. Someone close to you or you gets severely ill, the kind of illness you can't change. The kind of illness that only God can change and it doesn't change. Maybe it's your career path. You know you're destined to be here. You have the training, the experience, but you're not. There's no way God has my best interest in this place if I'm not over here. See, we have to maintain that idea that God is goodness and hit that perspective all times. Now, the second way to apply goodness in your life is to realize that goodness is a principle. Now, I love science and I love research. 
And I love reading about behavioral science. And really, true science, I say true, always confirms what God put in place all the way back then. And so there's a uh, study out of Arizona State and Montana State that will kind of, it's called the contrast principle. Let me define it and we'll talk about it. The contrast principle is this. The same thing is made to seem very different depending on the nature of the event that precedes it. And so here's what they did in this research experiment is this was done in the 80s, but they went into uh, these gentlemen and one at a time they would bring them into the room and they would say, hey, you, you have a blind date tonight. We're going to show you a picture. And the research study says it was a picture of an average looking woman. I'm not going to get into that. But... They showed him a picture and they said, hey, this is the person you're going on a date with tonight, but we need you to rate him. Okay? Give us one to ten. How do you think this girl rates? They would rate him. They scored it. And they developed this database of a control. Well, then what they did is they started doing this. But what they did is in the, in the room with the, uh, with the person, they were playing reruns of Charlie's Angels. And they would accidentally wait a couple minutes and then they would come in and say, oh, we're sorry we're late. They'd let it keep running. We're going on a blind date tonight, and we want to show you a picture of an average-looking woman, saying girl, and we need you to rate it 1 to 10. They always rated the girl lower when they were watching Charlie's Angels beforehand. Let me give you a, a different principle that you can take home. You can do this yourself. Three buckets of water, it's the contrast principle. One's super cold. Stick your hand in it. The other one's very hot. Not boiling, though. You're doing this at home. We don't want to hurt you. So you stick it in super hot. Now, this middle bucket that I haven't showed you yet, it's got just lukewarm room temperature water in it. After you've taken about all you can handle, go ahead and put both hands in the exact same bucket. One hand will tell you that the bucket, the cold hand, will tell you that bucket is full of warm water. The hand that was in the hot water will tell you that bucket is full of cold water. Therefore, illustrating the principle that what happens in your life is really predicated on what happened before it. Now, let's take this to Scripture. See, if we go to the gifts of the Spirit, Paul presented them after he presented what life was like when you don't live in the Spirit. Let's go to this list. Paul says, look, if you try and live on your own, if you try and do everything with your own power, it's going to have sexual immorality and impurity and lustful pleasures and idolatry and sorcery. And I know some of you guys are like, we did not do sorcery this week. But you see what Paul is saying. The works of the flesh, and they even end up in wild parties. To me, that means parties are okay, just not wild parties. Paul says, when you try and do things on your own, this is what your life ends up like. And there'll be all these different shades of those. But if you live in the Spirit, in contrast to that, if you use love, joy, peace, patience, here's the contrast principle. Live in these, and you won't even want to look at those anymore. Life isn't about you and I making a list of all the things you're not going to do. 
Don't say, I will not have impurity, I will not have idolatry, I will... No, no, no. Spend your whole life saying, I want God's joy and his peace and his patience and his goodness. Because then, all this will look horrible. Let me give an example from my own life. Kind of superficial, but maybe it'll put it more in context. And uh, I'm going to need... Examples are kind of scary. Because if you don't like my example or anything like that, you you might negate the whole point. So we kind of need to sign like this social contract. I just signed it for you. So what that means is, in this example, I need you to agree with all of it so it can really help my point here. I love to work out. I love to run. And part of me really believes that you have to listen to really motivational music to do that. There's no way you can go to the gym and lift weights Unless you're listening to something with a driving bass. Something with guitars and something that's just motivating you. If you want to run fast, you better listen to fast music. It's the way it works, just in case. Well, about five, six years ago, I was running with a guy. And out of nowhere, he says, well, normally, I'm talking to you today while we run, but normally, I listen to sermons while I run. And I was like, what a weirdo. No wonder he's slow. Nobody can run to sermons. And there may even been a thing like, hey, you can work out to him too. And I was like, no one with any muscles listens to sermons or worship music. (laughs) Wait, we're getting there. So I'm like, no way. Well, you know how it is. Now, he didn't tell me, hey, put away that music. But a fruit kind of popped up in my life, and I said, hey, I think today I want to try and work out to a sermon. And that lasted like two minutes. You just can't, and I was like, that's not going to work. A week or so later, I guess I must have tried again, because what eventually happened is I started deleting entire playlists off my phone. Now, I have to be honest, not all of them, but a lot of them. And it wasn't because I set out and said, I was in a sermon today, and I'm going to get rid of all these things. And I've decided that these songs and these musicians are no good. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do that instead of getting done working out and driving home like a madman and being a little angry, but I lifted good. Instead of doing that, I got done with my workout, and I was happy, and I was cheerful. And without even knowing it, some things didn't seem desirable anymore. See, we need to apply goodness in our life. When we see it, we need to grab it. My example is not your example. But when you see fruit that's joy and goodness in your life, grab that. Spend your effort making a decision instead of trying to get rid of all sorts of stuff. Because Paul tells us that's the way it's going to work. Decisions for good. It's a contrast principle. The other way to work out goodness in your life is to realize that goodness is a principle, or sorry, is a purpose. See, even God's ultimate plan for us is described as the good news. Jesus himself is good because he has a benefit for all of us. That's who he is in his nature. 
I want to take us to the story of the prodigal son real quick. I'll kind of run through it. I'm making an assumption, although a very small assumption, I think, that most of us have heard the story of the prodigal son. Three main characters. There's the father who owns a, a lot of land and has resources and seems to have this empire. Then there's a good son and a bad son. The bad son says, hey, I want all my money. I want it now. I'm going to take it and live my life, my life the way I want to. So he takes it, he goes to the city, and he squanders it on what he thought was a great time. Prostitutes, substance abuse, rowdy life, you know how it ends. He ends up losing it all, addicted by the choices he made, and now he's at the bottom of his life. He says, I want to go home. Even sleeping with the pigs at my dad's house would be better than this. I said, we usually focus the story there and even looked it on the way home. His dad was waiting. Saw him from afar off. I like that King James Version, afar off. He saw him. They run out. They put the shoes on his feet, the ring, the robe, the best donkey. Butcher the best animals. So we know the story, but I want to look at kind of the good son. See, the side we, we sometimes don't talk about too much. See, the good son was in good standing with his father. He did what his dad asked. He tilled the ground. He worked the fields. He took care of the the cattle. He did everything. He obeyed. He was submissive. He was loving. He stayed the course. He expressed the goodness in a great relationship with his father. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us that he didn't go visit his brother in the city and say, look here, knucklehead, come back home. But it doesn't tell us he did either. In fact, Scripture shows us that he was angry when his brother came home. He wasn't looking for his brother. In fact, I kind of think that if he had went to the city once, twice, three times saying, come on, brother, you got to come home. He might have been looking like the father was, or at least ran to that house in excitement, but he didn't. See, here's the problem is, you can have goodness in a relationship with Christ, with God, but we have to have goodness in a relationship with our brothers. Paul summing up the fruits of the Spirit in 6.10 says this, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. See, the best way to live out goodness in your life is right here. If we could live out goodness with each other, that would be the best outreach. The outreach pastor wouldn't have to design giving away backpacks, although we're going to do that. The senior pastor won't stand up here and say, I need you guys to come forward and and give so that we can serve the city. He's going to do that, though. The best outreach would be us living out the fruits of spirit in our lives with each other in this faith family. And that light would draw everybody. My friend that doesn't know God would say, I want a relationship like you and Mark have. And he would say, because you guys seem to have 
goodness and joy and long-suffering. And see, that's how it's supposed to work out. Because in the faith family, we understand it's a process. So when I'm listening to a sermon, and Mark's listening to, then I know it's okay. Because he's working on it. And we build and we grow. And we're together and we don't judge. I'm like, oh man, your patience is so low today. No, I know that the Holy Spirit grows those things. You just choose to exercise it. And if we would get this, and we would do this throughout the week, then outreach is easy. I'm going to conclude, which is a very popular word. with letting you know that it's your role to apply these. Apply the principle that God, or goodness, is a perspective. And the perspective that God is good at all times. Put in your life that there's a contrast principle. Don't spend your life with efforts of the self trying to do good. Trying not to do bad. Spend your your efforts in choosing to do those things that the Spirit produces in your life. The rest will take care of itself. And apply that goodness has a purpose, and that purpose is for you to use it with everyone here. And then the outreach will take care. When I was young, my grandpa used to tell me if I ate a watermelon seed, this plant would grow inside me. And I'll tell you what, I'll admit what some of you may not, I I still partly believe it. I don't eat watermelon seeds. And I even tell my kids that. Paul was, in scripture writes, Lord, give me the words so that I can boldly proclaim. He doesn't say difficult, but he says the mystery of the good news. It's hard for me to explain, but there is a plant growing inside you. These aren't my words, this is Scripture. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives in you. And the seed of Christ grows inside you and produces. Now you get this weird imagery now. It's in my arm. There's joy. But it produces these fruit. The altar call is this it's not up here, it's not with music. The altar call is to make a choice today and this week. Make a choice. To pick the fruits the Holy Spirit gives you. If you have a chance to be good, even if it's just the smallest thing, pluck it. Taste it. See that it's good. That thing will grow and develop. Make the choice. 
to be really good, beneficial to those around you. Whatever the works of your flesh are, don't make a list of them. Say, I'm going to get rid of them all. Sounds great, but doesn't work. Instead, just the little thing the Holy Spirit gives you today. Maybe just a moment in prayer. Maybe it's one nice good deed for someone. Maybe it's a good thought. The little things turn into bigger fruit. And big fruit turns into a life led by the Spirit. Let's pray.